from Las Vegas. You're listening to Verve Church for people who don't like church. Thanks for tuning in. Angola is a maximum security prison in Louisiana. It's the largest in America with 6,300 prisoners. It's also known as one of the most dangerous, bloodiest prisons in the country. Most of the men are there serving life sentences because it's home to some of the most violent criminals you can imagine. The inmates there fight with each other, lots of attacks, people trying to defend themselves, fighting back. The prison is made up mostly of white, black, and Latino men, and they tend to divide up by race. Inmates stick with their race, not the others. In fact, they are uh, suspicious or even antagonistic towards other races. Uh, There are also in the jail some gangs, and those in gangs will defend themselves and their gang at all costs. Doesn't matter if they're right, if they're wrong, you always agree with and defend your gang. That is a maximum security prison, but doesn't it kind of sound like our world right now, or at least our country right now? And people fighting with each other on social media, in person, on the highway, lots of attacks, sometimes it even gets violent, people trying to defend themselves, fighting back, and there's different races, and so many people divide up by race. Mostly people stick with their race, don't understand the others, maybe even suspicious of or antagonistic towards the others. I I would say we also have gangs, but we call them political parties. And if you're in one of them, you defend it at all costs. Doesn't matter if your party is right or if your party is wrong, you agree with and defend your party. I would, uh, I would call all, all of it a, a those people approach to life. There's us and there's them, those people. If you're black, those people might be white. If you're white, they might be black. If you're a Democrat, those people are the Republicans. If you're poor, it may be the rich people. The rich may think the poor are those people. If you root for the Golden Knights, well, we all know the San Jose Shark fans are those people. If you're not from Vegas, you're just going to have to trust me. Seriously, though, I wonder, who are those people for you? Who are those people for you? Who is it that you just don't understand or you can't stand or have opinions you will not stand for? So based on race, politics, religion, geography, gender, sexual orientation. How about this? Uh, Let's say you're in an elevator and it breaks down. You're stuck in it for hours and hours with, who would it be that you would say, no, Uh, a group of opinionated vegans or Trump-loving Republicans or LGBTQ activists or gun rights activists or Black Lives Matter activists or policemen or the cast of Jersey Shore? Who are those people for you?
Now, we live in a world that's divided. There is suspicion. There is prejudice. There are attacks. And the world Jesus lived in 2,000 years ago, same thing, same thing. Uh, with religion, you had a group called the Pharisees and another called the Sadducees. They fought and criticized the wrong theology of those people. Uh, politically, there were Jewish zealots who opposed the Roman rulers, and there were the Herodians who were Jews who supported Roman rule. But the biggest division was over race. Uh, the Jewish people believed in and worshiped the one true God, and they were the descendants of Abraham. They prided themselves on their ethnic purity. Gentiles were the non-Jews. The Jews looked down on the Gentiles, but even more, they looked down on the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the result of forbidden marriages between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews thought Samaritans diluted the purity of the Jewish race. They despised the Samaritans, and the Samaritans despised them. The Jews called Samaritans dogs, and they decided, we just will not deal with the Samaritans. We're going to totally avoid them. In fact, a Jewish person would never enter the region of Samaria. Avoiding Samaria was a necessity and it was a pain. So here's a map from Jesus' time. Um, do you see Judea towards the bottom, right? Uh, that's where Jerusalem was. And Jesus' people, Jew, I'm sorry, Jewish people would travel to Jerusalem for all kinds of reasons, religious festivals, all kinds of things. Uh, do you see Galilee towards the top of the map? Uh, that's where, where uh, lots of Jewish people lived. That's where Jesus and his disciples, his, um, his ministry apprentices, were from. Do you see uh, Samaria, the big area in between Galilee and Judea? Obviously, you go through Samaria to get from Galilee to Judea or from Judea to Galilee. No. No, it's obvious, but the Jews would never travel through Samaria. They would take the long route around it to avoid being contaminated by any proximity to Samaritan people. There's a, uh, there's a time in the Bible when we see Jesus go from Judea to Galilee. Uh, we find it in John chapter 4, verse 3. It says, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Uh, since Jesus was a faithful Jew, Jesus must have taken the long way around Samaria, right? Right? Wrong. Look at the next verse. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Wait, what? Had to go? No, he didn't have to go. Jews would never go through Samaria. In fact, you can picture the disciples rebuking Jesus. What do you mean? We're not going through Samaria. You're not going through Samaria. We can't. You can't. We're Jews. And they, well, they're dogs. Do you know why? They, they would have thought that. They probably said that because they didn't understand yet who Jesus is or what Jesus came to do. That Jesus came to bring people to God and to bring people to each other. That's what the Bible says over and over and over. Like in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 14, says, For he, talking about Jesus, for Jesus himself is our peace, 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. What does that mean? What is it saying? Saying that Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring reconciliation, to tear down anything that divided people from God and from each other, to reconcile people to God through the cross, to, to bring people to God, and to reconcile people to each other, to bring people together. That's why when Jesus was asked, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Somebody asked that. What is the, the one greatest commandment? He couldn't give one answer. He, he didn't. He gave two. He said, uh, he said in Mark chapter 12, he said, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second, I'm not giving you one, I'm giving you two. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He couldn't give one answer because the gospel, the good news Jesus came to bring, is vertical and horizontal. It brings people to God and people together. You cannot separate them. You, you, you cannot have one without the other. People might want to, but you can't. Uh, listen to what we're told in 1 John chapter 4. It says, whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Could you be more straightforward? I'll read that again. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And that is intense. If you don't love your brother and sister, you don't love God. If you love God, then you will, uh, then you will love your brother and sister, including those people. Those people who growing up you were taught not to love. Those people who, for some reason along the way, you decided, I don't want to love those people. And that's why Jesus had to go through Samaria, because that's where those people lived. The, the people his disciples had been taught not to love. The people his disciples had been taught were less than. The people his disciples had been taught to avoid. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had to teach his disciples that if you're following him, you have to go through Samaria. If you're following Jesus, you have to go through Samaria. You have to make peace, tear down the wall, be reconciled, to be brought together with the people you have not wanted to love, the people you've been told were less than and who you have tried to avoid. You have to get close. And what you find when you do is that proximity breeds empathy. Those people stop seeming like those people when you spend time together. I mean, you, you, you see people for who they really are, 
who God made them to be. You, you realize stereotypes you had are not true. You actually have things in common. And, and you start wondering, why did I think we were so different? Who told me that? Why did I believe that? You start caring about those people. Proximity breeds empathy. And if you follow Jesus, you have to go through Samaria. You, you might say, but I, I'm not prejudiced. There, there's, no, there's no group of people I'm against. In fact, I'm against racism and, and against homophobia and misogyny. Okay, that's good. But do you actually know people? Like, are you friends with people who are different from you? Uh, they, they've done research on this when it comes to race. They look at people's 100 friends, and what they found is that the average white American's 100 friends are 91 white, one black, one Latino, one Asian, one mixed, and one uh, other and three of unknown racial origins. Uh, the average Asian in America's 100 friends are very similar, about 91 Asian, uh, and then one of each of the other groups. The average black American's 100 friends are 83 black, eight white, which makes sense. There's more percentage higher, but, but there's more white people out there. Uh, two Latino, zero Asian, three mixed, one other, and four of unknown origin. The point is, most of us don't really know people who aren't like us. And listen, uh, man, you can talk about Samaria. You can give your opinions about Samaria. You can philosophize about it, lament, and hashtag about it. But if you're following Jesus, you have to actually go through Samaria. You need to get to know people who are not like you, those people. You need to break down walls, build relationships, become friends. So Jesus goes into Samaria. His disciples unhappily, begrudgingly behind him. They, they go off to find some food, the disciples, and Jesus sits down next to a well and a, a woman comes up. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This woman, she can't believe that Jesus is talking to her. Why? Because she knows to him, she's those people. Because she's a woman. Men look down on women. They didn't talk to women because she's a Samaritan. Uh, Jews look down on them. They didn't talk to Samaritans. And, and honestly, really, it's more than looked down on. Um, what we do with those people is we, we dehumanize them. You look at the history of racism, and one thing you'll see is that people always call those who they're racist against by animal names. They always um, will pick names of different types of animals as nicknames for those people. Uh, Jewish people did it with Samaritans. Nazis did it with the Jews. Hutus did it with the Tutsis in Rwanda and American America. White people did it to black people. They, they use animal names to talk about those people because it makes those people seem less than human. 
That's, that's really what allows racism to exist and sexism to exist. It's, it's why people can ignore the homeless because you just don't think of them as being the same as you. We don't, I mean, we don't, we don't like to admit it, but we think they're less than. They're less than. But that, that is the opposite of what God tells us in the Bible. We are told that every person, every person is made in the image of God. The, the theological term is imago Dei. Every person is made by God in his image, equally valuable. No one is less than you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you do what he did. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And so you go through Samaria. You sit down with a person who is not like you, and you look them in the eyes, and you talk. That's what Jesus does over and over. One example is here in John 4 with this Samaritan woman. Um, it says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is to ask you for a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You're, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And their, um, their, their conversation is, is theological. Uh, it's also playful. Um, Jesus is telling her, he's saying, listen, what you're looking for in life you're not going to find it anywhere you're looking, but I can give it to you. And Jesus would say the same to you. What you're looking for, love, perfect, unconditional love, forgiveness, acceptance, purpose, family, I can give it to you. Beyond the, the specific words he spoke, just the fact that they were talking, that Jesus was taking the time to have a conversation with her. That was looking in her eyes, spoke volumes. He, he was communicating, you're not who you think you are. You are not what other people have said you are. You are not less than. You are just as valuable to God as anyone else. You are loved. You matter. You are precious to him. And the same is true of you. You are loved. You matter. You are precious to God. And it's true of every person you meet, including those people. We need to let them know you are loved. You matter. You're precious to God. And this woman, she really needed to hear that. Um, but she would have had a lot of trouble believing it because she was looked down on not only by men because she was a woman and not only by Jews because she was a Samaritan, but also by, well, everyone because she didn't live up to their moral standards. We find that out in the next part of the conversation. He told her, Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. 
I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. In that time, having had five husbands, uh, living with a man who is not your husband was unheard of, totally unacceptable. She would have been judged by everyone, which is another reason she was those people. So, so why does Jesus bring it up? Was he judging her? Uh, did he also find her unacceptable? No, the opposite. He was showing her that she was loved, but he knew she was thinking, uh, she was thinking, if you only knew the truth about me, you wouldn't be talking to me. And then he shows her, I do know the truth about you, and I still find you worthy. You are worthy of my time. You are worthy of God's love. In fact, that's what happens next. He lets her know that he is God and that he has come for her, that they talk for a minute about a, a debated theological issue. And then she says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. She realizes, I just met God. I just met God, and God is for me. And she runs off to tell everyone. And right then, Jesus' disciples come back, and they're surprised that he's talking to a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. And you have to understand, the Samaritans were those people. They were the enemies. In fact, there's another time when Jesus and these same disciples were in Samaria, and two of the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That's what they wanted to do in Samaria. They just didn't get it. Jesus had taught them, love your enemies. See, with, with Jesus, there are no enemies. Everyone is someone you should love. When you're following Jesus, there are no those people. In fact, maybe that's when you know that you're really following Jesus. When those people stop seeming like those people. I, I mentioned that uh, maximum security prison, Angola. Well, one of the prisoners there is Lee. Lee is a big guy doing time for a violent crime. Lee is Asian. Uh, Angola is filled with mostly black, white, and Latino men. So Lee basically has, like, no one. Well, something happened to Lee in prison. He, he found out that God is for him, that Jesus came for him, died for him, and so Lee accepted Jesus as his savior in prison. He, he, he was serious about it, but, but he said he, he, just, he still just wasn't sure if it was real. He said, until something happened to me. What happened was some guys, some of those guys on the cell block jumped Lee one night. They were beating him up, but Lee fought back to protect himself. He, and he actually turned the tide. One guy ran away from the fight, but, but the leader of the pack was still there, laying on the floor, trying to get up, and Lee was above him, and he could have seriously hurt him. He could have taken him out. And Lee says, and that's what I do. I fight, and I was so angry, I could have taken him out. It, it would have been nothing for me to take his life. But instead, Lee stooped down, picked the man up, and sent him on his way. And Lee said, at that moment, Jesus became 
truly real to him because he didn't want to fight anymore. His enemy didn't look like his enemy anymore. He didn't look like someone less than or someone deserving punishment, but instead someone who needed grace, just like he needed grace. I think that's when you know it's real, when enemies don't look like enemies anymore, when those people become us. Um, and it says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So um, what about you? Who do you still look down on? Who do you still view as the enemy? Who do you still only look at from a distance? That's time for you to go through Samaria, to sit down with a person who isn't like you. Who could you do that with? Just look them in the eyes and look for an opportunity to tell them you are loved, you matter, you are precious to God. That is what Jesus did. And you have no idea what will happen inside of you if you do what Jesus did. In fact, look what happens when the disciples return with food. It says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is like, guys, I don't need anything. I am full. Why? Because there is nothing as fulfilling as doing God's will, God's work, which is to bring people to God and people to each other, to tear down any wall between God and people or between people and people, including the wall between you and people. That's what Jesus did. That's what we are to do. And that's what the woman at the well did. Uh, check out the rest of the story. So it says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. She, she's like, he knew everything about me, but he still talked to me. He, he was still for me. And all the Samaritans come out because of her invitation and, and get to experience Jesus for themselves, and, and they believe, and their lives are changed. And how cool is that? Her life was changed, and then she changed the lives of those people. Those people who had considered her those people. And you could do that because God is for you. And you can let other people know that God is for them. We could do that. Oh, I forgot to tell you how Lee, the guy in prison, found out God is for him. This is so cool. The prison invited New Orleans Seminary to start a campus, a campus of their seminary, in the prison. So the inmates could take classes to learn about God and, and Jesus and being a pastor. The seminary said yes, 
and the prison warden, Warden Kane, did something revolutionary. He allowed the seminary graduates to start little churches right there in the prison. The inmates started learning that God was for them despite their past, despite their crimes, and tons of them start coming to faith, and the prison was transformed. And that's what we want to do. That's why we started Verve, to, to let everyone know God is for them despite their past, despite their sin, to help people come to know Jesus and come to have faith in him. So their lives, so Las Vegas and people who watch this online, wherever they might live, could be transformed. And we get to do that. I want to be a part of that more than anything. We have a great opportunity to do that with Christmas coming up. It's the perfect time to invite people. Hey, come and show up at my church. Come and watch my church online. Great time to invite people. Let's do that. Let's knock down those walls. Right now, let's, let's pray for that. God, God, I, I wonder if inside of each of us there's lurking at least a little shadow of prejudice, a little shadow of racism. A little, it might be sexism. It might be, um, it might be about ageism. But there, but there's there's people we we just don't think um, are as important as everyone else. There's people we have stereotypes about, people we're cynical about, people who um, we roll their eyes when we hear about the agenda that they want to achieve politically. God, we don't have to agree with everyone. But man, we can't have those people. You have called us to love everyone, to love our enemies, to make friends of enemies. You came to break down the wall between you and us and about between us and us. And you've called us to that mission. God, would you help us to invite people to come and meet you uh, here at Verve so that they can um, have a relationship with you? God, would you help us to break down the walls between us and people? Help us to reach out to somebody who is different from us, someone we don't agree with, someone who sees life different. And... Um, and start a friendship and get to know somebody. Proximity breeds empathy. Help us to experience that, God. We have to go through Samaria. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.